hip-hop rapper lady, rapper lady, rapper lady. Thousand feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors, and I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three R's rip right round your jugular. Three R's rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing fake news, just another awful facet of the new era we are dreadfully entering into. We will talk to you about what fake news is and what it is not, and we will share some resources to test out online sources for their credibility, and we will talk about some current events that have involved fake news. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? In select places, such as (laughs) (laughs) iTunes, where you can leave us a review. Those are always fun to read. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We have a Facebook community, Feminist Killjoys slash WTF Power. Did I screw that Mm -hmm. up again? Okay. No. Yeah, I think that's right. Feminist Killjoys community. Okay. Uh, We have a page where you can like us, but then also that secret community group where you can talk about whatever. Okay, and we have a Twitter account, and we have a mixtape on Spotify. Have you been updating that, Rachel? I haven't checked it out because I don't. I'm a I'm a couple behind. Okay, but I, will I never get know that. because I'm I'm like you're still not on Spotify. I'm like two weeks behind, I think. Okay. So, Dessa is coming soon. Well, you're still not on Pandora, so <laughs> it's true. Okay. It's true. I'm not on Pandora. <laughs> Okay. And then also, if you have any extra money and want to support us feminist media laborers, you can donate to us via our bird on our website. Our website name is feministkilljoyspodcast.com. Or you can do a micro monthly donation on Patreon. And shout out to Josephine, who gave us a one-time donation. Thank you. We are currently saving up and almost have enough money to get some NPR-esque microphones and some good headphones. We will be using your donations in that way. And sorry again for last week. Our sound was like super crappy because the mics, we couldn't plug both mics in. So uh, we want to we wanna bring smoother sounds to your ears. So we'll, we're trying to get on that. Um, a couple other short comments about our social media stuff. Um, first, if you're in the group, um, I just want to give a shout out to Shireen who posted about being in D.C. Melody and I will not be in D.C., but a lot of FKJ listeners will be. And so if you are interested in connecting with FKJ listeners that will be there, please go to our Facebook group. Look for Shireen's post. So also about that note, stay safe, have an amazing time, etc. Melody and I, I think we'll both be in our marches in, respect, in our respective cities. But also, I thought it would be fun. If you don't follow us on Instagram, please do that. And then I thought it would be fun that if you go to the march and want to tag, like, FKJ in your pictures, we could repost pictures of our listeners at the marches this weekend. I thought that would be fun. Yes. So do that. Tag us. And also, uh, 
this is the Twitter person speaking now. If you are uh, live tweeting at all, <laughs> feel free to tag us in any of your tweets by using our username, or you can do like hashtag FKJPHD, and we'll check on those mm-hmm. hashtags, and we will repost. And also, I saw an image going around. There is a femme black block, like a femme militant cool. group. Yeah. And I think I retweeted it. I'm almost positive I retweeted it on our Twitter account. So there is like a femme black block that is going to be meeting and there's an intersection where you're supposed to meet. So please do that. That's like our podcast in a march, like representing <laughs> like a femme right. black book. <laughs> right. Oh, God. That's awesome. Since we're on the inauguration, just a shout out to people going because when I went to the George W. Bush inauguration to protest it, it like really changed my life and it really yeah. impacted me as an activist. I like, I think that is probably when I became like a super duper activist. So good on you for going. And I hope that it really inspires you and changes you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's exciting to think about sort of the first, the, the new generation of, of folks who, who this will be their first big action and possibly the biggest, I mean, the women's march is slated to be the, like the biggest protest in U.S. history, which is bananas and rad as fuck. So that's super exciting. Yeah, D.C. protests have been some of the most impactful for me as well. So I ha- definitely have some FOMO about not being there, but awesome. More power to all the people who will be there. So how's your week been? Uh, it's been really good. Actually, my first week of teaching, I've been so I started last week and I've just been really excited to meet all my students and talk to them. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'm teaching intercultural communication, so it's giving me, Mm -hmm. like, a new spark in my teaching. Mm -hmm. You know? It's just like whenever you get a new prep that you're excited about, it's totally kind of uplifts you. But at the same time, I've developed this motto, which is, long hair don't care about your white feelings. I love it. That's, like, really (laughs) what I'm, like, bringing to the semester. For example, I did wear one of my Obama shirts when I taught, which is... Did you really? Wow. The day after his farewell speech, because... Wow. Long hair don't care, but also... (laughs) It's on my intercultural calm day, where I feel like... Yeah. I always have, like, a teaching reason to maybe wear political t-shirts. Yeah. But I also, like, don't care anymore, because, as we record this on MLK Day, his statement about how white moderates are the ones that are really holding civil rights back... Mm-hmm. And so if I continue to be like moderate in my mm-hmm. presentation at school, then mm-hmm. I'm holding things back. So in his honor, mm-hmm. I'm trying not yeah. to to be so um, careful at school. But at the same time, mm-hmm. as I know you are very familiar, one of the reasons I am careful is because of the fear of backlash from certain students because it's caused... Yeah a lot of problems for a lot of feminist professors that we know. And I think that yeah. is the fear is like in, I could say one thing and they'd be all over my Twitter account. They'd be listening to mm-hmm. every episode of this, finding all the dirt on me that they can about mm-hmm. how left wing I am. Mm-hmm. And then ta-da, there's my life, right. you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I know. Well, this is actually, this will be a good transition into our topic, but I was just talking to uh, Melissa Zimdar's former uh, guest of the podcast and friend of the podcast, who's been in the news a lot lately because of her contribution to the fake news sort of discourse and critiquing it. And she was saying how, I think I might've mentioned this, that some of her trolls have listened to her episode of our, of our podcast and just like thinking about this podcast getting into the hands of of 
you know, people who hate our views, you know, including some of our students. And it's a scary time to be a public leftist in the world. So there's that. But teaching is always a, it's tricky to navigate that. But uh, I, I support your, um, I mean, you weren't, this is also sort of like a MLK kind of walked this line. Like you didn't wear a Malcolm X shirt, for example, which might've gotten you a little more pushback than an Obama shirt. I don't no, know. But I'm laughing because a lot of my students wear NWA shirts. That's rad. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, if that's my company, I mean, Malcolm right. X isn't, they have the same kind of values embedded in their music and speeches. So. Oh, totally. I don't have a student body like that. I've never seen a student wear an NWA shirt and I'm jealous of that. It's just so anyway, weird. I just don't even, yeah. under, I don't know if they understand the the connection. Some students understand the cultural impact, but not all do. But it's just amazing that my student body recognizes NWA so clearly. Right, right. I'll yeah. take it. I'll yeah. take it and use it for education purposes. Totally, so, yeah. Enough about me. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm mostly healthy. I still have kind of a... I think I taught a sculpt class a little before I was fully healthy, so I still have a lingering cough and kind of sore throat, but I'm much better. I went to sort of some queer organizers in Boston, radical queer organizers, organized a march uh, this past Saturday, I think partly just to have like a a march space that was queer and trans and intersectionally queer and trans focused. I'm sure a lot of those folks, the majority of those folks will be at the march on Saturday as well. But it was just sort of a, it was called the Queer and Trans Liberation March. So our chants were specifically about queer and trans issues, including, um, but again, it was very intersectional. So including things about prison, no dapple, Black Lives Matter, et cetera, just a really radical group of awesome people. Um, and there was like, there's, there's this radical marching band in Boston called the Honk Marching Band, and they were there and that was super fun. And so it felt really good to be in the streets and that was rad. Um, and otherwise just doing a lot of work for the semester to prep and, uh, prepping for a job interview that I have tomorrow. So there's that. That sounds wonderful. It's been, oh yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. It really was. It was like a, one of the best sort of most heartening marches I've been to. It was great. Did you meet new people that you weren't connected with? Um, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't really make connections to the point that I, like have new people that I can, whose like phone numbers I have, but I did, I have a new TA for the spring who I'm super excited about. Uh, they're a grad student at, in, in the master's program at the college that I teach at and they are TAing and they're super rad, queer, non-binary, awesome activisty person. And they were there with some of their friends. So, um, I ran up and I was like, OMG, you're my TA and here are some of your friends. So, um, kind of like, I feel connected, I guess, to them and they're, uh, younger and, so like I got to meet some youthful, youthful queers. And then also this person, this musician, Evan Greer, uh, who's a radical folk musician, uh, was performing. And I used to see Evan play in living rooms in Chicago, living rooms and basements, but more living rooms for the folk, the folk singers. When Riot, they're part of a group called Riot Folk and that collective uh, used to be in Chicago a lot. And so I knew Evan. And so I knew some folks there, but didn't, so not necessarily new connections. Anyway, that was long answer, but long answer to know. it was good. Come right. <laughs> so that's that. And Minnesota, Minneapolis will have a women's March con- like uh solidarity March. Is that oh, yeah. right? Oh yeah. I'm not sure about, well, something's going to go down on Friday. <clears throat> I just, yeah, this is, yep. this is the time in which I wish I was actually on real Facebook because this is where all the marches get circulated. So 
Yeah, there's less Facebook posting about the 20th. Hmm. I think partly because stuff that's going down on the 20th might be more like radical stuff that people okay. aren't going to post about on Facebook. Okay. Uh, that's just my hunch. So yeah, I don't I don't actually know if I'm going to do anything on Friday just because it's the day I get back from a two day long interview. So we'll see. Anyway, we can r- both report back next week. Deal. Okay. Do you have anybody who's ruining your dinner party? I'll keep it short. I mean, society, the impending doom that we're all about to <laughs> that we're all about to experience. But uh in honor of the holiday, we've talked we've talked about this numerous times on the podcast. Fuck folks who are like, oh, Martin Luther King was such a such a good man, so polite, and then like shit all over Black Lives Matter and shit all over people taking the streets and shit all over blocking traffic and shit all over breaking the law, all of things all things that MLK stood very fervently in favor of and did and supported whitewashed non-radical or like unradicalized legacy of Martin Luther King is ruining the dinner party. So, you know, so important to remind folks that Martin Luther King was at least a a critic of capitalism, if not outrightly anti-capitalist, was certainly skeptical and and unsure of it and, and you know, sort of critical of it and was very adamantly in favor of breaking unjust laws and disrupting business as usual. So there's that. And then I'll also just give a super short note just because this is this is what I do. I I have I will say this is disrupting my dinner party. This isn't ruining my dinner party. I watched Obama's farewell address. I saw, I watched Obama give Joe Biden the Medal of Freedom. I forget the name of it. It's called and the Medal of Freedom. Is it? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I forget the official name, but I think it's Medal of Freedom. Freedom. It's Medal of Freedom, so you're okay. Perfect, perfect. I watched both of those things, and I totally got choked up, and I'm totally super sad that this, like, charming, classy duo, as well as really both of their wives and their children, you know, their families, like, I'm very, I'm sad that that won't be sort of the, the, the faces and the families that I sort of see in the news now, but... There's still liberals who drone people and like don't do enough to like disrupt the economic system. And Joe Biden has said some really nasty stuff about like black people and poor people in, in, in his past. And I'm not saying people can't change, but whatever. So anyway, like all, I have like a love hate relationship with those Joe and uh, Joe and Obama memes that are like really funny and sometimes really sweet, but also just like, uh, like they're, they're still just, you know, they're still oppressors in a lot of ways. So that's just my normal far left critique of liberals for you to ruin your meal. Yep. Well, also Obama hasn't freed Chelsea Manning yet. So yep. just wondering yeah. when that's going to happen, sir. Excuse yep. me. Yeah, that, that weight is definitely ruining my dinner party. I would be so fucking glad if Chelsea, um, Leonard, I'm going to say his last name wrong. Leonard, uh, Pat- something with a P. Uh, I'm so sorry that I'm not saying that name, but there's a, there's um, like four political prisoners that are sort of on, on seeming like it could be potentially that they, that they maybe be released, including Snowden, which I'm not really hopeful for. In term, I mean, I'm not, I'm skeptical that that would happen. But, but isn't it, would it make- weird about, see, now I'm confused because Trump is in bed with Russia, yeah, but Russia was holding Snowden as an FU yep. to the United States. Yeah, I so know. So now what's going to happen to him? 
I don't know. I mean, honestly, what's bizarre is that Snowden might have a better shot of being freed or, you know, getting off the list with Trump in, in, in the presidency, which is super fucking bizarre. Anyway, we'll see. So- it is super bizarre, especially because Licky, uh, Licky Weeks. Licky Weeks. That's my new porn site. That sounds like a sexy uh, porn yeah. site. Well, this part's not going to be recorded for my students, but on Licky Weeks... <laughs> well okay my point was that julian assange and his i don't know what the hell's going on with his you know middle finger to the united states and our democracy and our election process but i used to lift him up in class as like a you know a rabble rouser who was doing good and yes oh and then not to mention all the sexual assault accusations against him but just him as an activist it's just really bumming me out. I can't use him as an example anymore because it gets too complicated if students know about right. his connection to the election now. Um, right. No, totally. So it I is know. just, just to add on to the like, it is so bizarre what's going on in this world. It's yeah. Like, it is. It's yeah. like, who thought that we'd be sitting here talking about <laughs> what we just I know. said? <laughs> I know. I know. It's really, it's really, it's bananas. Yep. Here we are. All right, let's um let's move on to our main topic because I know there's a lot to say. Uh, do you want to sort of introduce? I mean, surely folks have heard about the phenomenon of fake news, but Melody, tell us more. Yeah, so actually, j- just to piggyback off of our little recap of the uh, rabble rousers that we were just talking about, a new another new aspect of kind of the world we're living in right now is this use of fake news on internet. So like social media sites, and it's really skyrocketed since this past summer in terms of fake news sites kind of being created as clickbait uh, to get people to their sites to sell advertising, uh, which is all well and good, except it's causing a lot of confusion among people in terms of what is news and what isn't news. And so Mm -hmm. we thought we would take today to talk about what fake news is and some resources if you're curious on testing out different sites to see if it's a credible news source or not, but also kind of hashing out the difference between fake news, slanted news, biased news, misleading news, and then all mm-hmm. the way up to objective slash quote unquote credible news. And so I just want to start with an example that happened in my classroom as to why I want mm-hmm. to talk about it. And then Rachel and I will have a conversation. But last Great. semester, I might have even mentioned this on the podcast, but last semester when my when I opened up the floor in my classes to talk about current events, you know, what have you been hearing the last week, you know, and somebody was like, oh, I heard that um, Obama's not going to leave the White House if Trump gets elected. And I was like, what? I was like, I did not hear that. And if I haven't heard it, it's probably not true just because I'm always listening to NPR and I, I check Star Tribune and New York Times before class. And I was like, okay, but we just like moved on. Um, But I did some research after class and I found the story and it's from this source called the Burrid Street Journal. Mm -hmm. And it includes a snapshot of CNN and something that says, Obama, quote, I won't leave if Trump is elected, unquote. It looks like real news. Like it looks like a screenshot from CNN. But the trick was if you search for that news, the only news source that was reporting it was this fake news site. Like CNN did not have a story on it. So they really photo, they actually photoshopped 
a thing. That's un- unreal. Yeah. yeah. So it's really <laughs> tricky now where with the use of Photoshop and mm-hmm. the tendency for millennials and others to just kind of scroll through their newsfeed and mm-hmm. kind of pick up bits and pieces of what they're seeing. When fake news is interjected, it becomes impossible to tell what is news and what isn't unless you stop and you click and you see what the source is. Right. And I can just tell it's a huge issue with my students coming into the classroom and I have to do all this fact checking live. But also there's been a lot of conversations nationally about how these fake news sites actually impacted the election and impacted what people thought of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Yeah, which is um, very a very dangerous place to be in, uh, in, in that regard. So how is that different melody from bias news and what would you consider bias news or news with a political bend? Yeah. So I guess to back up one second, then fake news in terms of differentiating are just stories that are made up just for the sake of clicks or advertising revenue but it's often based off of real news events. And so they're just kind of playing with it. So The Onion, if you're familiar with The Onion, that was our fake news source for a very Mm -hmm. long time. And then because of some algorithm things that were happening on Facebook, people took advantage of their news sites to get people to think that they were real. So The Onion is clearly fake. We all know it's fake. But now there's these like Onion-esque websites that are popping up that nobody knows and um, are kind of trying to pass pass themselves as real news sources where the onion was always upfront about being satirical. Right. Exactly. Like I think the difference is, is like the onion is actually funny. Like you usually like snicker or like groan. Whereas like that Obama headline is simply meant for as clickbait. And maybe we can sort of introduce this idea of political economy. Uh, what is, what is the motivation behind people getting clicks on their website. Money. Right. Yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. So that's, I mean, yeah, simple answer. So it really comes down to the idea of, you know, people making money off of sensationalist, untrue headlines, like just complete lies. Whereas the onion is actually, I would argue doing something artistic and, and creative by coming up with funny things. So then to, to, uh, answer your original question about what biased or slanted news is. So biased news is something that might have a political bent to it. And so you often hear that like NPR is liberal, CNN's liberal, uh, Fox News is conservative, KSTP, a local organization here is conservative, you know, so mm-hmm. we kind of have this understanding that even with the production of sourcing that is credible and information that is verifiable, the facts and sources that you bring into a story, if you construct it, you can actually kind of create a slanted view on the topic. So for example, Mm -hmm. if I'm um, covering the most recent police shooting, let's say it's a, you know, a white officer kills a black person. But so let's just say I was covering that news story. You would, if I wanted to be, you know, more slanted towards the victim, I would pull out a quote from the police officer or the police officer's spokesperson that made him seem kind of bad. I would get a lot of quotes from the family talking about how upset they were. I would get a lot of quotes from the protesters. So those are all sources. They're credible. They're verified. But my production of it has a more liberal bent to it because it's seen 
seeing the story through the victim's eyes. So that isn't fake. That is biased, maybe. I don't love that term. Actually, I don't know, Rachel, if you remember this, but President Obama actually referenced this issue in his address. I don't think I remember that. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't so blunt about it, but what he said is that we need to get out of our bubbles and Mm. understand that if information is presented to us that doesn't match our opinions, that doesn't mean that it's not real information. It just means that it's challenging our opinions that we have, which was a direct reference to Trump and his tendency to say that any news organization that is against, like has a story that is critical of him is quote unquote Mm -hmm. fake news. Right. Which he said blatantly in his press conference. So yeah, including Buzzfeed and CNN. Your organization's terrible. Your organization's terrible. Let's go. Go ahead. Quiet. Quiet. Go ahead. She's she's asking a question. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. So this is the problem now. Well, I thought it was a problem to begin with. But then once the semester started and I heard Trump use the term fake news incorrectly, Mm-hmm. I was like, well, we really have to have a conversation about this because mm-hmm. um, our listeners obviously are extremely smart and intelligent, but I think some of this information will be very helpful for people who are still learning or if you need resources to share with people to kind of walk them through what fake news is. Fake news is not what Donald Trump says it is in terms of mm-hmm. news that he disagrees with, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the BuzzFeed thing got tricky because um, – yes they published something that wasn't verified, but I, but they, but what they said is, Hey, this is circulating this. It's news that this thing is out there. The thing about what Trump did in the hotel, um, in Russia, if you don't know what that is, you can Google that. Um, so, you know, that is, you know, that's borderline, but that's very different than making up a headline out of nothing, you know? Um, would you agree? Or I'm, yeah, no, and I think the way that I explained it to my students is that fake news is different than unverified news. So right. what Trump was referring to was a, uh, you know, some sheets of paper that BuzzFeed apparently got from somebody with credibility with Russian intelligence. Mm-hmm. It wasn't verified. It wasn't cooperated with other sources, but it wasn't like fake in that they did right. like make it up. Like Buzz did BuzzFeed right. sit there and like create a memo no like both obama and trump do not they are not denying the fact that russia said to trump and obama we think russia has some dirt on you trump and that's why this stuff is going on with you being so tight with putin they're not Mm -hmm, denying mm -hmm. that they're denying well trump is trying to deny what exactly is the dirt and so Mm -hmm, buzzfeed mm -hmm. apparently got some of the dirt Um, right but that is not fake news created to um, make money off of advertising or clickbait. It's just unverified right. information that reporters deal with all the time. Right. Exactly. And so CNN also, they didn't go with the full story. They just said, hey, this document is circulating that might suggest what has right. been going on with Donald Trump in Russia. And that mm-hmm. was enough for Donald Trump to say, you're a fake news organization. 
Yeah, which is which is really scary because he literally wouldn't take questions from them and then proceeded to take a question from Breitbart, which is also not fake news, but is so ideologically right wing and inflammatory to the point of sort of mobilizing what people call the alt-right, what I would call neo-Nazis. So again, like I'm not going to put the label fake news on Breitbart, but I will say that they're sort of a terrifying journalist organization that our president-elect is favoring over something like CNN, which, yeah, has a liberal bend and is like annoying in terms of being part of the cable news sort of cycle, but is not mobilizing racists. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, it feels it feels like a really just a scary time for journalism, a scary time for the freedom of the press and a scary time for citizens on on how to figure out how to engage with news, you know? Yeah. And I think so just to play a killjoy for a moment, is democracy now what Breitbart is to neo-Nazis? Is democracy now to radical leftists what Breitbart is to neo-Nazis? Probably. I mean, I think that's a decent comparison. Yeah, that's why I was saying. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was saying they're not fake news. I'm not saying Breitbart shouldn't be there or that he shouldn't answer questions for them necessarily, I guess. I think that it's terrifying that news organizations, you know, I think think mobilizing racism is very different than mobilizing anti-racism, for example, something that Democracy Now! might do. But yeah, I, I'm not saying necessarily that Breitbart should be shut down. I don't think I'm saying that. Plenty of people are saying that. Right. <laughs> but I, right. I guess I, I just bring it up because news can be slanted even in like our camp that like promotes oh, totally. our viewpoints. Um, Completely. But it's still, I would never call that objective news. I would never call Democracy Now! objective news. I mean, they purposefully avoid getting officials' uh, statements, and they they avoid officials. They just talk to people on the street, which is their their niche. Exactly. But also, they do that because mainstream media is dominated by people with power. And I think Democracy Now! tries to give voice to people with less power. So, yeah, I think that left slanted media is certainly slanted and ideological. But the question is, is what ideologies are supported by dominant power systems and what ideologies are not supported by dominant power systems. And this is becoming a very interesting question when dominant power power systems in the U.S. will now be sort of led by a man who is sympathetic to neo-Nazis and or is a neo-Nazi, depending on what you think of Trump. So that's actually a really good point. I really like what you just said about what news organizations are supporting the dominant ideologies. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where we can almost make exceptions to organizations like Democracy Now! in terms of not Mm -hmm. being slanted or biased in the same way that Breitbart is. I really like that. Right. That's a good distinguisher. I think it's, right, I think it's, that's an important sort of difference. Should we go back to sort of, uh, or should we sort of jump to how to, some more tips on how to figure out what fake news is and isn't? Yes, I would just, the one thing I just wanted to bring up before we go on to tips and tricks is Mm -hmm. my student was talking about this issue as being on a spectrum, which I think has been Mm -hmm. really helpful for other people to understand. So when we're talking about fake news, bias, slanted, misleading, all the way up to traditional, what we refer to as objective news, 
it's all on a spectrum. So mm-hmm. it's not either or. I mean, some. I think that's great. Yeah. It was like a really brilliant point that he made in class. And I was like, yeah. I love things being on spectrums. Like, it's just, right. <laughs> I think it's a better way to see the world anyways. Totally. Uh, and so that might be helpful for listeners as well to see this all yeah. as not binary, yes or no, but on a spectrum. You should have that student, like, write a paper about that and draw a picture and publish it. I will. He's extremely, extremely smart. Um, cool. So Shout out to that student. Yep. So yeah. don't worry. I got yeah. his number. We're, we're together. <laughs> Okay. Cool. Yeah. So tell me, um, tell me some, okay. So let me say I was like doing, I want to do a paper. I want to do some research on like what's been going on with like Muslims in the Boston area. Do you have a Muslim population in Boston? Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, and I bring this up because it's a, it's a topic that can often, if you bring in Muslims, it can, that's a big target of fake news organizations. Mm-hmm. Right, inflammatory stuff about people they don't like. So mm-hmm. if I'm looking for that online and I want to get some news sources for it, how can I tell that I'm actually using a credible news source, you know, beyond knowing New York Times and CNN or something? Right. Well, that, that, I mean, honestly, those are good places to start. I mean, I think, I think first I usually know New York Times, Your Washington local, Post, which, yeah. which leans right, but is also considered pretty credible. Um, NPR gets a little riskier. Sure. Yeah. There's a graph we can post online, um, on our website. I don't know if we've, our, our blog posts have, have had as many links as we, as we promised, but we'll try to get more up. Uh, there's a, there's a good graph of sort of charting this, this sort of, uh, also a spectrum of, of news. So we can try to post that. But, um, I think the first thing you can look for outside of the name of the source, which is a great place to start if you are familiar with good sources off the bat. But if you're not, a good place to start would be looking at the headline. Does the headline seem really sensational? Does the headline seem like something that is trying to get you to click the website versus something that would be more informative? You know, so, you know, X number of, uh, I'm switching topics now, but X number of refugees, you know, come, come to, you know, us, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So it's actually giving you information in that headline versus you'll never believe how many refugees did this and hear this, you know, I mean, so check out the headline is the headline clickbaity and, and which means sensational trying to get you trying to get you to click something because they're not giving you more information. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I think the only caveat that I would add to analyzing the headline is that traditional news organizations have been having their own internal debates about headlines because headlines are what get you to click. And now that people don't visit WashingtonPost.com, they only visit Washington Mm -hmm. Post if they're getting headlines, that news organizations also have to be really careful about how they construct them. Yep. Because there was a um, a debate amongst journalists about whether or not to give Trump credit for shutting down the ethics committee shutdown. Basically, there earlier this month, the white the government was going to like get rid of the ethics committee, mm-hmm. and a lot of the headlines were saying that Trump was responsible for it because he tweeted some stuff out, mm-hmm. even though thousands of angry constituents called their lawmakers and demanded Mm -hmm. to keep the ethics committee running. And so I think just in the Trump era, we have to make sure that journalists are not 
using Trump in a headline just to get clicks, right? Like it's, right. they're also being sensational. Like yeah, yeah. Rachel's example is way different than some of the nuanced discussions. I just wanted to clarify that in case some of you have been following that more nuanced debate about headline construction. But I think that's a super, it's super important. I mean, bringing nuance into this conversation is, is very important. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, quote unquote, credible news sources exist in the political economy of capitalism too, and also need clicks based on the way that people consume news. So absolutely. But I think like dead giveaways for, because I think for me, it feels really obvious when I see those headlines, I'll like, you know, roll my eyes or whatever. But I mean, I think we've experienced students who don't realize that, you know, so I'm just, I'm just sort of starting with surface level, but I think that nuances, um, and that, that, that subtle difference is super important to note. Okay. So tell me some more, some more besides headlines. One thing that I notice on fake news sites is when you scroll down and see like what relate, like other stories they're trying to get you to click at the bottom. And oftentimes there'll be something like, really grotesque, like a picture of a rash or something. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. They're just like disgusting images. Again, more clickbaity things. Oftentimes with images though, something about celebrities might pop up. Just really sensational, non-major, um, like sort of stories that are not major news, but just kind of gross or weird. Um, so look for the stories that they're linking to at the bottom of the story. I think is another is another trick. Um, would you agree with that as well? Yes, but again, please um, nuance it. My nuance back. to that is that some traditional news organizations who are really struggling financially are also using those clickbait ads at the end. Like if I'm mm-hmm. on a local TV news station site mm-hmm. reading a news story, at the end they just link to just awful uh, story like fake stories. Yeah. Which yeah. I just registered in my head because I'm like, what are they? But they, these news organizations, they need just need money. That they're like yeah. desperate. And so this is, again, why it's really important for us to talk about it because all of this stuff is blending together. Together, yeah. And you yeah. really got to spend some time digging through some of these stories. Right. Well, so what are what, what are some things that you look for? I think if our tendency is to be on Facebook or Twitter and click on links because we are interested in the headline or something that our friend said. Mm -hmm. If it's something pretty phenomenal, like Mm -hmm. uh, protesters drop banner at an NFL game, I Mm -hmm. would open up a new tab and just quick Google the, Mm -hmm. the news. And if I see other news organizations carrying it, then I know that it's true. But if Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing other ones carrying it, then then I'm skeptical, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, for example, my student told me yesterday, not yesterday, yesterday was Sunday, Thursday, Thursday, that um, Spotify wants to hire President Obama to be the president of Playlists. And I was like, you, like, that's fake. That is so fake. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know, where'd you hear that? He's like, I don't know. And so I went to the computer and I typed that in and sure enough, BBC, Washington Post, CNN, they're all carrying the story. So yeah. it was true. And I only believed it because I saw news organizations covering it. Um, right. So that's kind of what I do is I just go Google the topic and see if news organizations are covering it. Right. With the nuance, of course, mm-hmm. that <laughs> sometimes the news that I'm interested in is so localized or so like centralized in a small community that the news might not be at a local or national level at a certain point, Mm -hmm. especially the stuff that you're hearing on Twitter. 
So consider that as well, especially if you're going to be following what's going on at protests and marches this next week. Some of the stuff that you're going to be hearing on Twitter, if it's on the ground protesters, I would see that as verifiable information, even if the New York Times isn't running with it at that point. And shout out to Unicorn Riot, by the way, who's a really amazing um, local Minneapolis news organization that is on the ground at at different protests and um, reports things from, from the ground. I think something interesting about that is that people live tweeting, for example, a protest and hearing some really loud sound, if somebody tweets, holy fuck, I think something just exploded, that's real for them in that moment. Maybe it ended up being a firework display, but they, in that moment, that's what they think. So I think just because, I mean, following Twitter can be really, really helpful, but know that especially in like a giant protest, like people might not have correct information when there's, there are a thousand people deep of a, of a group or whatever. So be discerning. But I think that gets to, um, sort of questions that we ask in academia and like, I think in feminist studies in particular, like what is truth? How do we get knowledge? Mm -hmm. What do we consider knowledge? And so I value the perspective of people on the ground, even if it wasn't vetted because I value the experience of people who are experiencing things for themselves. But there's something really important about the integrity of vetted journalism too. So it's a, it's so many things, so many questions are brought up by this conversation. Yeah. And I would just add um, to that about the difference between knowledge on the ground versus vetted journalists is that that is also another important distinction between fake news and real news or credible news credible news Mm -hmm. um in that the people who are producing the credible news are journalists who went to journalism school who have editors Mm -hmm. who fact check who know Mm -hmm. that if they run on verified information or make up their sources their career is over that's why it's so important to put some of your trust into what you know find the news organization that speaks to you like for me it's new york times and npr even though they're problematic mm-hmm. in some ways like i trust their journalism because mm-hmm. it's always loaded with like boring facts and like mm-hmm. boring sources but at least i know mm-hmm. that it's all real and vetted um whereas fake news there is no they have no consequences they they right. can make up whatever they want and they will suffer no consequences except right. making more money so right, that's exactly. another important distinguishing element between the two. Yeah, definitely. But, but then, so Rachel, I had a question though, like I was thinking through this um, in terms of, well, if, you know, fake and biased news can be obviously problematic and at the other end of the spectrum, objective news is also problematic mm-hmm. because of its like need to cover all sides of a story. And sometimes mm-hmm. like with climate change and like the climate change deniers, is it really mm-hmm. worth covering their side of the story? Um, right. But there's, you know, a big discussion about, you know, is objective news even possible? Yeah. Is our end goal in this new era to only get news from verified organizations? Like, is that... Is that what we're asking our listeners to do? I think I think it's I think it depends on what your end goal is. Like, do I think that we need to ask our students that when they're writing papers? Yes. I think verified in journalist sources is yes, totally important. Do I think that we as human beings engaging in the world can look at the Twitter feed of somebody who's experiencing something and take that as knowledge? 
yeah, I think that's fine too for in terms of shaping our own relationship to the world. But if but if we're talking about writing academic papers or writing or or producing something for the world professionally in any regard um, as a student or as a worker, uh, as an employee, uh, I think that I think that verified stuff is important. What do you think? This is the the question that I grapple with because of your discussion about feminist theory, about what knowledge is, you know, yeah. I would prefer to sit on Twitter and get my news that way from people who are on mm-hmm. the ground. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that is a very important source for people to have, but there's something to be said about investigative journalism that, mm-hmm. you know, with people who have networks and people who have been following stories for a long time and hearing their stories is also really important. And so I guess the thing I'm grappling with is in this era where the people with capital P are going to be marginalized and silenced, there's a tendency for me to want to run to those people as those who I want to listen to in terms of like Mm -hmm. what's going on in the world. Yeah. I'm very hesitant beyond like democracy now and maybe NPR to give me the truth of what's going on because Trump is now, like you mentioned, silencing CNN. He's going to keep doing it. Um, Corporate media during times of unrest has been known to side with the presidency and the government because of the hell that they will give journalists if they don't, AKA the George W. Bush administration and the Iraq war. I mean, right. No, exactly. I mean, and it's, and it's, especially, I mean, the the neoliberal era where government and private corporate entities are intertwined. And not, I mean, that happened certainly in the Bush era and with the Iraq war. I mean, the amount of profit that people in that administration made off of the war is disgusting. But when we think about our president-elect and all of the corporate benefit that he will get because of particular things, I mean, there's, we're not just talking about the government, we're talking about corporate control of a society, which is fucking terrifying, particularly when it comes to news and journalism. So yeah, I hear you. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you want to finish your thought? Oh, I was just going to, no, no, no. I was just going to reference a source if people are interested um, in, in how journalism was like basically bought out by the George W. Bush administration. Norm mm-hmm. Solomon wrote a book and there's a docu- documentary called War Made Easy. And he traces mm-hmm. how corporate journalists um, just ate up whatever George Bush fed them, even though they weren't really happy with him as, as a president. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It gets really tricky when you're dealing with war. And I mean, with Trump, it's going to be all these investments. I mean, I'm sure there's reporters trying to dig. But at this point, if a whistleblower came out with documents, I might trust them more than yeah. whatever corporate media is feeding me because I'm just worried. I'm just worried about how Trump's yeah. going to handle corporate media. Independent media usually skirts around the official way in. Right. So yeah, it's I just mean, something to think about. I'm not I'm not claiming absolutely, anything. So Absolutely. I mean, well, and I guess that – so for me, I think – I would consider democracy now as verified. So when you were asking, do we have to turn to verified news? I would say that that is indie media. I have not visited the indiemedia.org site in forever, but I wonder if they're going to like sort of blow up again. Um, Maybe they're still going strong. I thought they sort of had a low. Yeah. yeah. Um, So maybe indie media, um, if we have any listeners who are connected with um, like the indie media folks, uh, that'd be, that'd be rad. 
Um, yeah, I get, I mean, I think verified independent journalism exists. So, I, so when I said, yeah, I think the goal should be verified media, I think that includes independent media. Independent media is going to be harder to, I think, seek and find and understand. And that it adds an entirely different layer to the, to the sort of question of fake, real, verified, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think I, I also just want to say, and I know we should probably wrap up soon, but going back to this idea of like feminist knowledge production in academia, we call that epistemology. So the sort of study of how we under, come to understand things. So knowledge, knowledge production. I think what's interesting is that feminist epistemology has often been relegated to like, oh, well, we have like facts, like we have capital T truth. And then we have like oral histories or like standpoints of women, like the perspectives of marginalized groups. And it's like, that's like, like a supplement to the, the truth and the facts. And so I think, which I think is a super problematic binary or a super problematic division. But what I would say is that as we move through the world and try to find what is true and real, and again, this, that's, those are sort of like philosophical questions, to also know how important it is to go going back to what we've been saying throughout the past 20 minutes is that those voices on the ground and the voices of the people who are most impacted matter. And I think that in a world of Twitter, that becomes really interesting because we have kind of lots of access to that. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's just like another sort of academic note on knowledge and the way that it's certain types of knowledge are dismissed and how that complicates questions of verif what is verifi verifiable and credible. That's that. Rock Any on. Last Feminists are rad. It's true. <laughs> oh, I do have one thing. I do have one thing. Yeah. Okay. So in my research on fake news, there was a interview done by Samantha B on Full Frontal show. Mm -hmm. Somebody else interviewed this guy who ran National Report, who's one of the, they're the biggest, one of the biggest fake news sites that circulated during the election. Mm -hmm. All of their content got wiped from their website, and I have no idea why. There's no news coverage of it. Um, it's very mm -hmm. hard to Google because national report is such a broad term that Google is, like, not giving me what I need. Mm -hmm. um, I did ask Dr. Zimdars if she knows anything, uh, but mm -hmm. I have her back. If anybody knows why national report got shut down and why they wiped all their content, I would love to know because they were, they were giving interviews this summer about being fake news. And the brilliant thing about them is that they started to infiltrate the alt-right and they tried mm. to prove how stupid the alt-right can be by them buying these stories. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. it works, but, but they're gone now. Like just early January, their site got wiped. So yeah, that's interesting actually. And again, we're giving lots of shout outs to Dr. Zimdars, um, because she's done so much work around this. Um, but she was actually just yesterday telling me about, I mean, it is, there are studies now that show that the, the far right stories go viral way more, more often and more easily than the far left sort of sensationalist stories. So it's easy. Right. What, and but sometimes that's because like left, left of center people are sharing those things out of horror. Like, oh my God, like this is, this is horrible. But there's also right leaning people who are like, fuck yeah. Or, you know, whatever the case may be of the headline. So yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. I don't know if anybody knows why that site is no longer there though. Let us know. Please. I'm like my, st I like discovered it with my students. So we were all like, oh, what? And then now yeah, we, we yeah. Know why, so I'm trying to report. Yeah. Back to them. Yeah. 
All right. Cool. Well, this will probably be a topic that we'll, you know, come back to, um, you know, as we move into what feels like, I don't know, the fucking Hunger Games or something. I don't know. I don't know what life's going to be like. So would you be in the Hunger Games? Oh, oh, um, it's hard to say. That's a good question. I mean, I like, you know, I think everybody likes to think they'd be Katniss. I don't know if I'd be badass enough right away, right off the bat. I don't know, maybe PETA, because PETA was, like, down for the fight, but, like, it took him a little while, and he was a little gentler. PETA's kind of femmy. Yeah. I could also see you being um, Lenny Kravitz, the, the fashion designer. Oh, person. yeah, that'd be the best. I would like to be Lenny Kravitz. I think you'd be Joanna. Who's Joanna? Or wait. Oh, she no, was wait. with the boys. The, yeah, Joanna, I'm pretty sure Joanna was the one played by, um, I forget her name, she's been in stuff, Jenna Malone. Is that Joanna? She was, she like shaved her head. She was like really kind of like badass. Katniss meets her in the hospital or something. She was down. She was like fierce. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I haven't read the books in a long time and I haven't, I only saw the first yeah. movie. So anyways, yes, I am a badass. Whoever that is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you could also be Katniss. I mean, that'd be, I can see that too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about killing people though. I definitely yeah. would make a, a funeral arrangement for Rue. That would totally be something yeah. I knew. And I would yeah, definitely totally. like, take her under my wing, but Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to find yeah. out if I'd ever be cat. I know. I would I like know. to grow my garden and live off the grid and right. <laughs> compost my hey, pee and uh, right. <laughs> that's how I want Listen- to live. <laughs> Listeners, you should tweet at us or go on the group or do some other contact and let us know who you would be in the Hunger Games. That's our group question of the week. All right, let's let's wrap up here. What are you reading, watching, listening to? Uh, speaking of dystopian futures, I'm reading uh, <laughs> this uh, independently published book called Overburden, which I should just send huh? you when I'm done. It's okay. uh, written by Danielson Murphy, uh, and I know him from Milwaukee, but he basically wrote like an eco-terrorist horror book about hmm. what would it basically happen, like if our kind of... <laughs> if life keeps going the way it is. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah. I love it. Cool. And uh, I've been watching this news show locally called Breaking the News, and it mm-hmm. one of the hosts is Jana Shortal, who we uh, quoted in our article that just came out about Mm -hmm. podcasting Mm -hmm. and she's just like this queer liberal badass and she Mm -hmm. gets to host a news show so I just love watching her and like she did a piece with um a civil rights professor here um on the eve Mm -hmm. of Martin Luther King's birthday and so it's just nice to see like alternative local news tv it's really wild so I just try to support her right by watching that and then I've been listening to Kendrick Lamar a lot just because of the pending doom yeah he makes me feel better yeah totally cool what about you um I've been I've been reading a lot of stuff prepping for the semester but one shout out I wanted to give was um Dean Spade just there was an interview with Dean Spade in um I think it gosh I think it was truth out or um, Altnet or something. One of the, one of the like lefty sites that I read. Um, it was an amazing interview and I, I agree with Dean Spade like 98% of the time. There are some things that I'm like skeptical about, but this was a really great interview. And I think that, um, he found a really great way to sort of articulate the balance between radical and reformist approaches to change in this era. And he sort of had this, um, first of all, he was talking about, um, turning sort of locally. So we all want to like fight, 
the national, you know, government basically at this point, I think, but to really turn locally and do things in local communities and yeah. to build, build community with the communities who need it the most. Um, and then he was also just talking about like, if, if you're going to do something reformist, that's not super radical, like ask questions about if this reform is going to strengthen a system that is ultimately going to further oppress people. For example, any measures that give prisons more money is basically going to further entrench the prison industrial complex. Um, so questioning those things versus are you going to do a reform measure that actually like relieves the burden of somebody's life in that moment without furthering, further entrenching some sort of system. So, you know, food, not bombs, like giving food to people isn't like reifying, you know, capitalism in any way. So, so asking that question about reform movements, I think is really helpful as we try to fucking manage to make little incremental change. So it's a really, it's a really good interview and um, I can post it on our site and on our blog. Um, I was been watching um, The Bachelor because all I want to do is watch really mindless television. And I, um, the two reality TV shows that I participate in the most are The Kardashians and The Bachelor, which I watch both for critique and also because I genuinely enjoy them. And they're fascinating. They're so fucking fascinating. The Bachelor in particular is fascinating as fuck. Um, Melody is shaking her head and putting her head in her hands at me it. right now. I can't. Rachel, it's, it is uh, y'all. It's how do you I, even sit through that shit? I mean, it's so awful. It is awful, but it's so fascinating, and you get into it because you you get to you get to see female friendship dynamics on the bat. You and you get to see male friendship dynamics on the Bachelorette. You get to see this bizarre world in which non-monogamy is the name of the game, but all in the service of heteronormative marriage. But like literally it's like a, a practice in polyamory and non-monogamy because like there's like multiple okay. dating going on and it's, it's fascinating. Okay, it's fair, fascinating. Fair, okay. Fair. We're reading. I, I get could, it. That's good. I, I like could it. do a whole episode on the dynamics of The Bachelor and there's been tons of really good academic analysis about it. So anyway, watching that and it helps turn my brain off from the world, which is uh, listening to a lot of different stuff. But I'll give a shout out to uh, Princess Nokia. Uh, she's a, a hip hop a uh, rap, uh, a rapper, hip hop, and person. Um, I'm a white lady talking about rappers. Uh, she, she's a hip hop rapper lady, um, but she's really fucking rad. And we were um, listening to her at my book club yesterday for a little bit, and um, she's rad. So oh, Princess Nokia. Anyway, that's it. I have those white lady moments so often talking about hip hop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's one of those rappers from the uh, from the <laughs> South, I think, Atlanta or Hotlanta. Oh, she's real good. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, God, I sound super white. <laughs> oh, well, oh, well. <laughs> okay. WTF. Power. Goodbye. Bye. That was boy and all. That was good. Yeah, that was good. I feel like that was an informative, informative episode.
That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. Who that is, ho? That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. Who that is, ho? That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a tomboy. That girl is a with my little titties and my fat belly, I can tell your man if you finna let me, it's a guarantee that he won't forget me. My body little, my soul is heavy. My little titties be booking cities all around the world. They be fucking with me. I'm a Calvin Klein model, come and get me. Set the resi up, don't be fucking with me. My little titties are so itty bitty, I go locomotive. Chitty chitty, bang bang, gold hoops and that main chain. Ten boots are like four rings. Missy Elliott can't stand the rain. You lanes ain't the same games. Little titties not so damn pretty. Staircase in a crack Philly. Little titties in a fat kitty. Big pants and some stuffed shoes. Bop a bow, blues clues. With my little titties and my fat belly. 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 My little titties and my fat belly.